The gospel lesson today is from Mark, the first chapter, beginning with verse 40. A leper came to Jesus, begging him and kneeling. He said to him, if you choose, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched the man and said to him, I do choose, be made clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Now, after sternly warning him, he sent him away at once, saying to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But the man went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the word so that Jesus could no longer go into a town openly, but stayed out in the country, and people came to him from every quarter." This is God's word for God's people. Thanks be to God. Will you bow with me for a moment of prayer? Dear God, our Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. John Merrick died in London in 1890 at the age of 26. You probably don't recognize his name, but he has become known as the Elephant Man. He suffered from neurofibromatosis. Nose extended from his head like a giant mass of dough. A a piece of bone protruded from his mouth like a pink stump. On his back hung stacks of flesh covered with a a cauliflower-like skin. And a hip disease left him permanently lame, unable to walk without the aid of a walking stick. Frederick Treves was a senior surgeon and lecturer at the prestigious London Hospital, and when Treves found John Merrick, John was being used as a circus freak. Because of the scorn and laughter of the circus patrons, John had completely withdrawn into himself, and when he was not on display in the sideshow, he wore a bag over his head to conceal his looks. When John was 22, Dr. Treves took him into the hospital as a permanent resident patient, supplying him with a a little bed and sitting room and his own bathroom. It proved to be one of the two most important events in John's life. All he could say in a a tone of total amazement were the words, this now is my home. The other transformation in John's life occurred when a young lady doing her job of bringing water to the patients in the hospital simply entered his room, wished him a good morning, and reached out and took his hand and shook it in her own, to which John sobbed uncontrollably. You see, apart from his mother, she was the first woman who had ever smiled at him and had ever touched him, touched his hand. But that changed him, and his shyness began to fade away. And he looked forward to the times when his do- the door to his room would open, and it began to open more and more, and literally the world flocked to see him. He had long last found a place of acceptance where being ugly didn't matter, and being strange was just inconsequential. People soon discovered that John was highly intelligent, he was sensitive, he was intuitive, he was imaginative. He knew his Bible and his prayer book intimately. Time and time again, John told Dr. Treves, I am happy 
every hour of the day. Someone who cared for him changed his life. Someone who just looked past appearances and saw there a suffering yet beloved child of God made an ultimate difference for him. You see, John had always been untouchable, but a touch that he felt from another human hand gave him the courage to believe that he was also a member of the human family. In Mark chapter 1, I just read an encounter that Jesus has with a man who was also excluded from society because of a skin disorder. In ancient Israel, anyone with a skin discoloration was supposed to stay completely clear of others until the cure came. Whatever the disease on the man's skin, Jesus does the unthinkable. He mercifully responds to the man's request, reaches out his hand, and touches the leper. Now, for first century Judaism, this passage poses two giant problems. First, the man with leprosy was really supposed to stay away from healthy people, shouldn't have been around where Jesus was. And second, whoever touched him is immediately ritually unclean. In Jesus' day, the priests on duty at the temple in Jerusalem uh, had a variety of jobs, and they literally lived in the temple for their period of service. And according to tradition, the eldest of the father's house used to sleep with the keys of the temple court in his hands. And he, having the keys, was responsible for locking and unlocking the temple. The priests guarding and locking the temple was an expression of the entire temple system, the priesthood, and the sacrifices. Now, clearly, part of their job was to manifest God's presence in the world, but the way they did it, they also served to separate people one from another, to keep them away from each other. And Jesus, however, comes on the scene, and he claims his role to bring people back to God and back in relationship with one another and he does it with a touch of his hand. Jesus' style is just to touch people, no matter what their condition, no matter what others might think about them. The Gospel of Mark records Jesus touching folks on lots of occasions, like when Jesus reached out and touched Peter's mother-in-law who was ill and lifted her. He touched the dead, the little girl who had died, the deaf man, the demon-possessed boy, the blind man. Mark is actually the only gospel that describes Jesus blessing the children by picking them up and holding them in his arms. Jesus is a hands-on person. It's his habit to touch people physically and in so doing, changes their lives with his hands. You could even say that Jesus' religion is in his hands, literally doing things for others in the name of God Jesus' ministry demonstrates why God gave us hands in the first place. Harold Russell describes hands like this. What wonderful, efficient machines they were, hands. So simple, just some bones and muscles and nerves and blood vessels and skin. Nothing to them, really. And yet, how valuable, how perfect, how cunningly contrived to do so many marvelous things like pitching a baseball or, or painting a picture or caressing the face of someone you love. 
You see, Harold Russell deeply appreciated hands because his hands had been destroyed during combat in World War II. This morning, we have commissioned our first class of Stephen ministers, and I rejoice in advance for all the people they will touch through their caring service. I know that God has granted them this service, and we together have confirmed their calling and have promised to lift them up continually in our prayers. And like the Lord they follow, they dedicate their hands to God's service today. And I assure you, they will have plenty to do to occupy their hands and their hearts and their time and their compassion. But in a very real way, all Christians are ministers for Christ. And it comes through our baptism. The special service into which Stephen ministers enter awaits us all in some degree. Because everywhere around us, my friends, there are people who need our loving touch. People who, perhaps like John Merrick, have suffered all their lives, yet whose spirits literally will be freed for true human life by the time we spend, by the willingness we have to reach out our hands. People await our concern and care as Christ's people so that they too can come to true abundant life. Being Christ's hands in the world is not just for Stephen ministers, but for all of us. And when we finally realize that, not only will others be changed, but we ourselves will be changed as well. At the beginning of our service this morning, we read together the, the, the account of Jesus' baptism by John in the Jordan River. As he came up from the water, Jesus saw the heavens open, and he heard the voice that said, This is my Son, the Beloved, loved by God, freed to love others. And I'm here to remind us that that's what happens to us as well in our baptism. God pronounces each one of us beloved. Now, no matter what message the world tries to tell us concerning our worthiness or lack of worth, the truth about us is that you and I are beloved and chosen by God. We are God's children in whom God delights. And when we learn to hear this word about ourselves, we don't have to be preoccupied with making ourselves look important for others or view others as a threat to who we are. Henri Nouwen, a priest and prolific spiritual author, writes in his book, Life of the Beloved, when we claim and consistently reclaim the truth of being the chosen ones, we soon discover within ourselves this deep desire to reveal to others their chosenness. Once we deeply trust that we ourselves are precious in God's eyes, we become able to recognize the preciousness in the eyes and the life of every person we encounter and recognize that everyone has a place in God's heart. So there's more to the story of Jesus' baptism and ours than discovering that we belong to God. You see, to belong to God, to bear Christ's name, is to belong to a people who have been chosen and redeemed so that together we are called to partner with God to transform both individual lives one by one and then to work 
at those systems in society that need to be transformed. I want you to think with me for a moment about the larger context of Jesus' baptism. The baptizer's father was Zechariah, and Zechariah, you'll recall, was priest. He was a part of that temple structure that offered sacrifices on behalf of the people, but they also sought to maintain order so that the Roman authorities who were occupying Israel at that time would not see the Jewish subjects as a threat to its rule. And then here comes John along the way. John comes and defies the temple system and its accommodating ways. And through his fiery preaching and prophet-like dress and diet, the baptizer draws throngs of people to himself out in the wilderness, not at the temple, out in the wilderness. People who are hungry for a living, real experience of God. Now, John also drew Pharisees and lawyers, but they came to discredit John. And so it is into this context that Jesus publicly, fearlessly, and intentionally goes to John, thereby identifies himself with the baptizer and this transformational community in which grace is valued more highly than order. Jesus is sinless and doesn't need a baptism of repentance and forgiveness. So why is Jesus baptized in the first place? Scholar, theologian, and author Carol Lakely Hess writes this, Jesus was born from as well as into a world of systemic sin. And his baptism is a signal that he understood the full implications of incarnation, God in human form. He was not merely identifying with or showing solidarity with the human world. He was fully acknowledging its tragic structure. She continues, there are no innocent, no perfect, no unambiguous, no controllable, indeed no sinless choices in this world. All choices must be made within the context of a system that precedes and impinges upon them. So in other words, Jesus heard and affirmed John's message that part of being human is being born into worldly systems that conspire against inclusive good for all and actually teach us to be resigned to the evils that we've come to deplore. In the face of this reality, Jesus chooses to be baptized by John, accepting initiation into God's community that is not content to live with the world the way it is, but claiming membership in this radical new community of those blessed by God whose work it is to bring forth the world that God intends from the very beginning. So hearing that we are God's beloved children, we are also freed to live like Jesus lived. We can follow Jesus, even if it means following him to the cross, laying down our lives for others like he did. Secure in the promise that as we with Christ die to self in baptism, we will surely be raised with him in his resurrection. The path that Jesus embraced at his baptism and faithfully walked throughout his life shows us that with God, transformation, not resignation or accommodation, is the holy reality that God alone provides. Jesus' ministry 
literally is to reclaim the world, to hold on to the world for God's sake by reaching out to the untouchable, the marginalized, the different, the despised, and the broken because each person is still God's dear, beloved child, full of the potential that God gave to each one of us. Jesus is clearly on the offensive when he touches the man with leprosy, that dreaded skin disorder. Our Lord attacks the disease and the social division caused by the illness when he touches this afflicted person and frees him of his suffering. Doing so, Jesus becomes ritually unclean. It's literally the price he has to pay to heal the man. But that's Jesus willing always to pay the price for healing for others. Gospel of Matthew summarizes Jesus' ministry like this. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. My friends, the world around us is full of people who are just waiting, just waiting to receive your gentle touch. Stony Brook Church is needed now more than ever and because we are now a Stephen Ministry congregation, we are better equipped to provide the care as God provides the cure through his hands and our hands. I am convinced that God has chosen to use our hands to do divine work here on earth. May God bless us and help us to be willing to pay the price to love and care for others, no matter who they are and do it literally for God's sake. And if we do, we will show ourselves to be true and beloved children of our Heavenly Father, and we will bring others to that complete life that God desires for all his children. Will you pray with me? Loving God, we are grateful that Jesus came to live among us and, and that he was willing to lay down his life on the cross so that we can experience your forgiveness and grace. Give us courage and determination to take our place in building your kingdom here on earth by offering our hands, our hearts, our hope to you, O God, who call us your beloved ones. When the call comes for willing servants, Help us to say with confidence and with joy, here I am, Lord, use me. Amen. Will you 